and welcome to the Hartman Group's Insatiable Appetite Podcast. I am Danielle Kleiner-Cantor. I am a consultant on the Hartman Retainer Services team here at the Hartman Group, and I am joined today by Melissa Abbott, who is our Vice President of Retainer Services. Welcome, Melissa. Hi, Danielle. So great to talk to you today. Wonderful. So we have been really watching the ripple effects of the pandemic that we are all living through. And one thing that we are noticing in our conversations with consumers, our um, looking at media, is that health and wellness is really as important as ever in this pandemic, as consumers' primary goal is really to keep themselves and their families healthy. That is uh, really the priority these days, right? So whether it's, you know, immune health or uh, mental health, but the far reaching effects of the pandemic uh, that we're seeing are being exacerbated by these social inequities that um, were really longstanding well before you know, the pandemic that we're experiencing right now. So whether that's access to resources for physical and mental health or, you know, financial resources that help support the two, it's really uh, bringing a lot of things to the forefront that were kind of not really being paid attention to, to the degree that they needed to be from a mainstream perspective. Yeah, that is a really good point, Melissa, that this pandemic is really shedding a light on some of the longstanding inequalities that are already existing in our system. And I'm wondering if you could explain a little bit more, what are some of those stressors that disproportionately impact some consumers over others? And who are those consumers who are disproportionately impacted? Well, of course, it's everyone's being impacted to some extent and certainly some more than others. But we're all experiencing, you know, tremendous disruption. That's clear. It is global as well. But, you know, communities of color and poor communities, you know, who've long faced greater obstacles around financial stability and health compared to other uh, segments of the population are really experiencing much greater strains and uh, they're impacted by the virus uh, to a much larger degree. So, you know, for example... There's data from the Centers for Disease Control where almost a third of infections nationwide have affected black Americans. And though black folks represent only 13% of the U.S. population, that's pretty significant. And then nearly a third of those who've died across the country are black, according to the analysis of some of the available state and local data that we've been looking at from the Associated Press. And, you know, people that have to keep going to work, these are the essential workers. And if they lose their jobs, you know, they don't have anything to fall back on. There is not that health care or safety net or um, a bank account with a little bit of savings that they can rely on. So this is really kind of shining this light um, on inequality and not only financial stress, but health as well as emotional stress. And, you know, we know that the risk of underlying health conditions leads to poor outcomes of the coronavirus. So it isn't just the actual physical, it's the mental uh, and the stress over being able to, you know, pay your rent and, and feed your kids. It's, it's a really scary time. 
Yeah, that is absolutely true. And, you know, we think about this distinction between essential and non-essential workers and these, you know, maybe poor communities as well as um, communities of color uh, are are often in some of these essential uh, worker jobs. And the economic fallout from the pandemic has left many of these folks without jobs and disproportionately to those uh, who can't go into work. And so this pandemic is really illuminating, like we have been saying, these inequalities in our system like never before and exacerbating them too. And so we're in the food industry. And so let's think about the food industry and employees in our industry. What are some of the issues that are top of mind for consumers as they're thinking about their communities and employee welfare right now? Right. And this is, Danielle, you're hitting on all the appropriate topics here because it's illustrating the inequalities of access to the resources that support health and general well-being overall. And also how employees are treated overall. So it's that idea of, you know, social justice is something that we've heard, uh, you know, from consumers in our sustainability reports and all of our, uh, our syndicated research where we hear, you know, a segment of the consumers, it tends to be a little bit smaller, but they're very vocal. And they're the ones who tend to be much more involved in, you know, this, this idea behind, you know, not just environmental justice, but social justice. So we can expect to hear much more about that in the mainstream in the coming year. So whether that's health insurance access, um, you know, for all, you know, being able to take advantage of sick days because, you know, we know ourselves that if you don't feel good and you still have to go into work and you can expose others, that is a, a huge liability. So then there's also the physical and even the safety conditions um, within the workplace that is, uh, you know, coming um into greater question where, you know, we see even at the grocery retailers, you know, when we do uh, go out to the grocery retailers, if you're not only relying on e-commerce these days, you know, we're paying a lot more attention to, you know, how uh, a grocery retailer is, you know, you know, supporting the workers, making sure that they have a safe environment in turn to help keep us safe as well. So it's bringing a lot, a lot of things uh, into question these days. Yeah, that really makes me think about this idea that we've been talking a lot about here at the Hartman Group recently uh, during this pandemic. And it's this idea of how the me affects the we. And so the pandemic has really shown a spotlight on how we are all connected and how our actions not only impact ourselves, but our communities as well. And, you know, you take the example of uh, sheltering in place. If one person shelters in place, that could actually potentially save somebody else's life. So the actions that we take staying at home or deciding where and when we buy food um, and even what other businesses to support have this really tangible effect on um, others around us. And so as you know, we've been saying consumers are just thinking a lot more about how their own actions and then the actions of businesses they support as well really impact everybody around them and the entire community. And so how can the food industry speak to this idea of the me affecting the we? Are there ways that they can do this authentically? It seems like there could be a risk of coming off as disingenuous, even despite best intentions. 
Yeah, and we've seen a lot of examples of this where you're like, whoa, like that that retailer or that CPG manufacturer did a really great job, or other ones where it seems like they might be even taking advantage of the situation. So there's certainly you know some lessons to be learned in how you message and communicate your um, intentions, um, despite how well well intended as you said they are, and this is such. A, a very challenging topic, as you know, Danielle, and we, we talk a lot about this um, uh, at the Hartman Group. And one other factor when thinking about the shift from the we from the me to the we is, you know, the idea of um, something that has been an epidemic for quite some time in America prior to uh, the pandemic is obesity which is a significant risk factor for morbidity from COVID, regardless of income or healthcare access. And it's also uh, very interesting that uh, there's research uh, that's pointing to the fact that People who are obese tend to have a decrease um, vaccine efficacy. So even if they get the flu vaccine or other types of vaccine, um, that the antibodies they are still um, they they still might not be uh, you know inoculated from. The from the va- from the flu itself. So, if once, you know, at some point when hopefully we have a vaccine for COVID, what does that mean for consumers who are have greater health risks such as obesity if, you know, they think that they're great and healthy because they've got they're not going to be spreading the disease because they've gotten the vaccine but and they're out and about, but in fact they are able to still spread the 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 disease. So, with that, you know, it's really just highlighting, you know, a lot about consumer awareness about the importance of community uh, more so than ever before. And, you know, they're looking for companies to show a commitment, these consumers, to social welfare. You know, and, and this has the potential to establish very long lasting credibility during this heightened time of need. Uh, so we've seen companies like Starbucks and Target and KFC, even even Kroger, have updated their sick leave policies to allow some consumers diagnosed with or exposed to the virus to take that necessary time off with pay, which is fantastic. Um, and these types of policy adjustments are just the bare minimum, though. And as continue, as we, you know, we basically see that companies, they're, they're trying to navigate the space around, you know, how to communicate best efforts and do the right thing. Um, and so consumers right now, they are looking at how companies are continuing to support their employees' well-being. And with that, too, as I mentioned about, uh, you know, how consumers who are, uh, whether regardless of what kind of um, financial background they come from, you know, how food is marketed to consumers, you know, if they are seemingly less healthy, um, highly processed, essentially, you know, as as companies are marketing these foods towards consumers as, you know, like just, you know, dig into your cravings and, you know, don't deny yourself. What does that convey to as a company about your concern for the general well-being of the population? So that's just something that, you know, we're kind of thinking about here as we hear from consumers about this, this definite shift, you know, toward away from the, you know, me centric towards the we centric and taking care of communities at large. Yeah, you've touched on a a really good point there, Melissa, um, about this idea of access to healthy foods and processed foods and, um, that is another long-standing inequality is that some consumers 
you know, particularly this group of lower income consumers and communities of color have historically faced this lack of access to healthy food. And what that leads to is what you were saying exactly is about obesity. And that translates to um, greater risk for health problems in general. And we're seeing with a pandemic that this is totally related to it. And so we're seeing how these inequalities are putting these communities at greater risk for coronavirus because they have lacked this access to healthy food, which has given them, um, you know, lim- limited access to nu- nutrition. And it's, it's so important, especially in the midst of a public health crisis, to have access to healthy foods, to support immunity, to support long-term health and wellness. And what is a really tricky factor with this pandemic is that while access to healthy foods is so important and is limited, shopping behaviors are changing. People have to shop a little bit less. You know, there's, there's several things that are happening right now that are limiting the ways that people can shop and what they have access to in general, not to mention if they're already at a disadvantage. And how are consumers changing shopping behaviors in the pandemic, making it even harder to incorporate these healthy foods into their diets? Oh, that's such a, a great question, Danielle, because we've been talking to a lot of consumers, you know, virtually uh, across the United States over the past um, over a month at this stage. And we're finding a lot of different, like essentially coping mechanisms just to begin with, where we see that first and foremost, there is a limit on shopping trips. You know, we we've been talking for the last, you know, decade or so about how consumers are shopping so much more. They're visiting all of these different retailers to get that right thing that they need. And they're they're shopping almost on a daily basis. Um, And a lot of it is, you know, just that idea of the novelty and the idea of, you know, accessing more fresh. But when we we think about consumers um, who are, you know, somewhat more disadvantaged, that also is starting to impact, you know, the broader culture at large. And so we're seeing this uh, increased focus on comfort foods uh, just to kind of, you know, make make you feel a little bit better. Um, Iconic comfort foods, things you grew up with, recipes, um, you know, you might have enjoyed as a kid. So there is a greater focus on non-perishables. And that can actually exacerbate pre-existing health conditions at this time when we think about, you know, just relying on a lot of processed foods. And, you know, we mentioned earlier, metabolically at-risk consumers are facing additional challenges as emotional stressors. Um, let's face it, you know, we're all really experiencing a lot of anxiety these days. That's prompting um, a lot of us to turn to nutri- nutritionally questionable uh, comfort foods. And, and there's that increased reliance on those highly processed packaged foods. And, you know, once you start to eat those and it becomes sort of part of your repertoire, it's it becomes a challenge to kind of, you know, shift back to those fresher, healthy things. And especially when we're sort of in this routinized experience right now where, um, you know, we're, we're getting used to, to as best we can, what it's like to be at home, um, you know, with our kids and, and teaching our kids from home um, online. And so we are relying on more of these packaged foods. And so it's going to be kind of an interesting shift because we know that consumers are also talking about, you know, this aspiration towards, but I know at some point we're going to have to shift 
shift away from this and and be uh, you know incorporating much more healthier approaches to eating. But this is going to be even more challenging for folks who have limited access to retailers who offer fresher um, value oriented uh, offerings. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, at the same time, we're hearing more about this idea of food as medicine um, has become relatively mainstream where food and diet are so closely intertwined with immunity and metabolic health. And so what can the food industry do to improve these at-risk groups' access to healthy food? Are there any programs that exist that could potentially serve as inspiration? Well, yeah, there are some there are some silver linings here, thank goodness, uh, just to kind of buoy our spirits a little bit. But it's clear that Improving access to health-supportive foods, like you mentioned, this idea about food as medicine has been on the rise for some time, but this has really just catapulted it into the mainstream. And so this access to these, you know, um, food as medicine types of modalities will be critical for the long-term health of, of, you know, all consumers, but particularly consumers who are at higher risk. And so there are programs that are demonstrating some tangible financial and health benefits of providing healthier foods to folks with diet-related disease. There's actually um, one in Pennsylvania um, called the Fresh Food Pharmacy, which is really cool. They're making free, nutritious food available to food-insecure people with, say, type 2 diabetes and obesity, as well their families. And what's really cool here is it resulted um, in this study in a 40% decrease in the risk of death or serious complications and an 80% drop in medical costs per year. Now that was reported by the New England Journal of Medicine. So just things like that can really indicate how we can over time, you know, save a lot in health care costs uh, when we think about supporting uh, communities with these additional challenges. And so as the pandemic um, subsides, hopefully soon, um, a lot more attention to what and how Americans eat is going to be needed to ward off future medical, economic, and social catastrophes from the next pathogen that essentially comes our way. So there's really no better time for food retailers as well as food service and consumer packaged good manufacturers to collaborate and devise products, programs, and support models like the Fresh Food Pharmacy to assist both those at risk and consumers at large in adopting a whole new perspective on the food is medicine approach. That is a fantastic point, Melissa. Yeah, it's it's going to really take, take a village, as they say, to uh, improve the health of communities. And that seems like a really great note to end on, um, unless you have any other final thoughts that you'd like to add. Um, I will just say this has been a really um, important conversation to have and that we are continuing to track this and what the implications um, for the general health of consumers across the U.S. as well as uh, specific segments of the population and how um, retailers and CPG manufacturers and uh, food service, how they can really help to contribute to the solutions um, for a healthier nation uh, at this time. That's a great point. Um, And so thank you so much for joining me today, Melissa. And thank you to everyone who is tuning in. 
Uh, please catch us next time on the next episode of the Hartman Group's Insatiable Appetite. And stay well and stay safe. Thanks, everyone. As Danielle said, be well. <laughs>